Father, all we have to bring to you today is our desperate need for more of you. God, we pray that you'd stir a deeper longing in our hearts for you today. That you'd fix our minds on you and how beautiful you are and how much you want to make our lives better. Oh God, we pray that you would pour out your Holy Spirit, that you would speak to us through your word. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. As he struck out on his journey, he was in no place to go on a journey like that. I mean, he had a long distance to travel from one country to another country. And as he's traveling, he has no shoes. How many of you have ever gone on a hike with no shoes? It's not a whole lot of fun. There's some people that are really hardcore about barefoot, uh, the health of being barefooted that will do it. But most of us appreciate the value of shoes. This man, as he went on this journey, had no shoes. But not only that, his clothes were ragged. And as he traveled from town to town, I imagine that people were scattering away from him because of the smell that exuded from him. This wasn't the way that he had come on this journey. He had taken the reverse path and he had been a completely different person. In fact, my guess is that most people didn't even recognize this person as he came back. But everything had changed for him. If only he had believed in the goodness of God. Last week, we focused on how if only Adam had, had believed that, that God's law was a law of liberty, that God had given him this law in order to set him free, that he, he had given him the pleasure to eat, and he said, eat freely of all the trees of the, gar- of, of the garden and of this 96 million square mile, 196 million square mile planet. Go fill it, subdue it, multiply, enjoy it. Here's one tree. Don't go there because I need you to trust me. I need you to trust me that, that, that my law is good, that, that unselfishness is the way to liberty, that, that this is the way of life. I need you to trust me. And then the serpent shows up and says, God just trying to hold this back from you. He actually, he actually knows that if you eat this, your life is going to get a whole lot better. You're going to have a whole lot more pleasure. And we looked at last week that it wasn't that Satan was creating some sort of new pleasure. There is no new pleasure that Satan can come up with. You remember how we looked at that last week? That that in fact, Satan just takes and distorts pleasures and brings them to our attention to draw us into this path that is actually so unfulfilling. We looked specifically at the screw tape letters last week, and I'll put up the line that we specifically drew on last week, that it said that sin is an ever-increasing craving for an ever-diminishing pleasure is the formula. So this is one demon writing to another demon of how to tempt human beings and is saying, hey, here's the deal. You take pleasure... And you make it this fleeting thing that that they use in the wrong way and there's no satisfaction that comes from it and and it's ever decreasing in the amount of pleasure that they get from it until finally they just feel so empty. Solomon said it like this, vanity, vanity, a chasing after the wind. So empty. But we saw last week that on the other hand, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is, does anybody remember? Liberty. And that the law of God is the law of liberty. 
So to pray for the Holy Spirit in our lives brings us a freedom. It brings us a, a liberty from all of this that, that Satan wants to enchain us with. Jesus said, whoever commits a sin becomes a slave to sin. In the Gospel of Luke, he starts off with something fascinating. In Luke chapter 3, he goes through this genealogy and he wants to establish something for us. He wants to establish that Jesus is the Son of God. And in order to do that, he goes through this long genealogy. Have you picked up the Bible before and read through and you get to the genealogies and you're like, okay, why is this here? Well, Luke uses it very specifically to lead up to the place where he says, Seth was the son of Adam, who was the son of of God. You see, Adam was the son of God. He was the one who was to be the representative that from him would come all of rest, the rest of humanity. And he chose to go against his father. And the results of that were catastrophic for Adam. First of all, he was running from God. He's hiding behind trees. He's afraid of God because now he thinks that God is coming to punish him. That's the first thing that sin did to him. Then he's accusing his wife. He's out. There's all of this friction. And the next thing is he's cast out of the garden and he begins to see death and destruction on this planet as a result of his choice to choose selfishness over unselfish love, to choose his way over the loving law of God. So it's fascinating in Luke that Luke kind of picks up this theme. He talks about how Adam was the son of God, but then he, he wants to present to us that Jesus is the son of God. And as the son of God, Jesus has something on his heart that he comes to us repeatedly in Luke trying to teach us. Look at Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11 is a key passage when thinking about asking for the Holy Spirit in our lives. Luke chapter 11 and verse 11. So this is on Father's Day. If you want to understand who your Father in Heaven is like, what better person to hear from than Jesus Himself? Luke chapter 11 and verse 11, it says, If a son asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? What kind of malicious dad, Jesus says, would at the dinner table, you imagine that you're there at dinner as a little kid, and you say, hey, dad, would you pass the bread? And he's like, <laughs> he takes a stone and gives it to you. Say, dad, would you give me some fish? And instead he gives you a snake. Would you give me an egg? And instead he gives you a scorpion, something that will hurt you. What kind of dad would do this? We all, all of you who are fathers know that you never do that for your son, at least I hope. And, and Jesus uses this specifically to help people to understand, hey, if you being evil, notice what he goes on to say, if you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more? How much bigger is your Father in heaven? How much better is your Father in heaven? How much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. Just, just ask your father. And, and he says in this asking, there's something crucial to understand. You need to understand the character of your father, that he's a loving father who wants to give you this gift. That's what Jesus wants us to understand, that in order for us to receive the Holy Spirit, in order for our hearts to be open to the Holy Spirit, we've got to understand what a loving father we have. And he continues this theme if you just go over one chapter. Chapter 12. And verse 32, he says this, 
Do not fear, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. He wants us to understand that, that the Father in heaven is crazy about us. That he wants to give us good gifts. That he wants to bless our lives. That he wants to make our lives better. He wants for you to understand what your Father in heaven is like. In this Father's Day, I don't know what your father was like. I have an amazing father who I should have trusted. I should have believed that he only wanted what was good in my life because of how he'd given to me throughout his life. And I'm so thankful to have a good father that that helped me to see who my father in heaven is like. But sometimes, even though our father may be incredibly good, we may walk away from his goodness. Adam did it. The Son of God walked away from what God had told him. I remember, in my own experience, walking away from my parents and wondering later on, why in the world? What drove me to walk away from them? But I believe that a story Jesus tells about a father and son goes on to show us exactly why that is. If you go to Luke chapter 15 and verse 11, Luke chapter 15 and 11, we pick up the story of this young man who's tattered with rags, who is filthy with pig slop, who has no shoes on a long journey, and we see that, you know, sometimes you see somebody on the corner and you think, well, I should have compassion for them because they probably didn't have a dad, they probably had all of these problems in their life that led them to this. But this guy, he had no reason to be where he's at. This guy had no excuses because look at the the home that he grew up in. Verse 11, then he said, a certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. The first thing that we see about this father is even though his son comes to him with an insulting demand, something that he says, hey, give me what's going to fall to me. Just divide the inheritance to me now. In a way, you could almost say, it's like he's saying, I wish that you were dead. I mean, if I went to my parents now and said, hey, would you mind selling your house and giving me the money that's mine? And, and you know your retirement? How about you just cash it in now and just give me half of it now? I know you need to live off of it, but who cares about you? I just want the money now. What kind of a son is this? But look at the father that he is. He divides his livelihood to both of them. He gives it to them freely. He, he's willing to go with this. Verse 12 continues, or verse 13 continues, and not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and journeyed to a far country and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. I remember after I graduated high school, packing up to go off to college and I'm packing my room and as I'm taking stuff out to my car, I'm telling my mom, I don't know how I'm going to fit everything into my car. And she's like, well, son, You don't need to fit everything into your car. You still have a room here. You can leave some of your stuff here. You can come home. And to me, I'm thinking, I don't want to have to come home for any of my stuff. I have a newfound freedom. I'm going off to school. Never mind that they're paying my college bill. But I'm going off to school, and I have this newfound freedom, and I want to take everything with me. I want to just live my life. I want to have my freedom. Why is it that this young son takes all of his possessions and goes off into a far country? What is it that he believes about his dad? What do you think he believes about his dad? It doesn't tell us specifically, but if you're trying to get as far away as possible from your dad, what do you think are some of the things that he might be believing about his dad? 
What was it? Limiting his liberty. He's probably thinking, you know, my dad, there are rules that my dad has that I don't like. And I want to be able to have my dad's resources and use them in my way. What other things you might be thinking about is his dad? That's probably the main thing based on what he does because he goes off into a far country and he begins to use this wealth to live a prodigal life. And we know later on from what the older brother says, maybe news had come back about, you know what your younger brother is doing? He's wasting that money on harlots. So apparently harlots played into it. Apparently he was just wasting it partying and doing all of these different things. Apparently he would invite a lot of friends and he would have all of these celebrations. He finally thought that he was free from everything that had limited him from having a good time in his life. That was kind of my thought as I was packing up my car. You know, I'm going to be free. Finally, I don't have to live in this house where there are rules. (laughs) If only I'd realized that parents don't impose rules for the purpose of hurting us but because they want what's best for our lives. And that's what Jesus wants us to realize about God. When, when, when he tells us that whoever commits a sin is a slave to sin, but when the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. He wants us to realize something. That God only tells us the things that are hurtful and harmful for us. That he only gives us his law because he cares about us so much. Because he's crazy about you. Because he wants what's best for your life. He's designed this planet in such a way that that there's this law of love, of love towards God, love towards people, and it plays out in the Ten Commandments, and it plays out even further in the instructions that, that Jesus gives us, that we find throughout the New Testament. There is so much in this Word to protect us from the things that hurt us, to give us liberty through the law of love. But naturally, we don't want this in our lives. Ever since the fall, it tells us that we are at enmity against God. Romans chapter 8 says that we are at enmity against the law, that we're not even capable of doing the law. And that is why we need a Savior. We need the same transformation that takes place in the prodigal son's life. Continuing on in verse 14. But when he had spent all, you see how these things are always so empty. You can chase after the pleasures that that you think, well, God's just limiting me from this. He wouldn't have told me. He tells me not to do that, but it's really not that big of a deal, and I think it would be a lot of fun. But then it's so empty. Have you experienced that before? It's just emptiness. And you, just like Solomon said, it's a chasing after the wind. So he spends all, and then there arose a severe famine in that land, and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his field to feed swine. That's the the lowest possible thing for a Jew to do, was to go and have to be the one to feed pigs. Here, they thought that pigs were unclean, they didn't want to touch pigs, and he has to deal with pigs on a day-to-day basis. He's there feeding pigs, but not only that, verse 16, and he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, And no one gave him anything. The pods that the swine ate were likely from the carob tree. They would take the the good part out of the carob. Then they would take discard the pods and they would throw them. And then we'll give those to the pigs. 
He's so hungry. Nobody's giving him anything. He's so desperate for something to eat that he would gladly eat the pig's food. So here's a question for you. What was it that inspired the prodigal son to go home? What is it that inspires the prodigal son to go home in this story? Need. Yeah, there's, there's some need mentioned there, isn't it? He's in want. There's hunger there mentioned. There's, there's a famine that happens. And, and for a long time, I thought, you know, this is the way God works. He has to send hard times into our life in order to get us to go back to Him. And sometimes that's true. If we don't get it the first time around, He's willing to do whatever He's got to do. That's why in Revelation 3 it says He chastens those whom He loves. He's willing to do whatever it takes to get you back, to win your heart back to Him. But is that really what inspires the man to go back? If he had just had want, he wouldn't have gone home. I want to argue that today. That that if he had only had an empty stomach, if he'd only had people treating him meanly, that that alone is not enough to drive him home. Does that make sense? There's no reason to go home if his dad is who he thought he was all along. He left his dad because he had this picture of his dad, of somebody who was cruel, of somebody who was limiting him, of somebody who was taking away his freedom. And so as he's there, he's in want. Notice what the story highlights that, that creates this awakening in him that, that leads him home. And this is crucial for, for you and I. We may not be prodigals. We may not be way out there in the world. But all of us need to be drawn closer to Jesus, don't we? All of us need more of God in our lives. And if we want that, this is the crucial thing that will drive us back. This is the thing that was on his heart as mile after mile, day after day, in rags and barefoot, he said, I've just got to get home. It wasn't just because he was hungry. It was this. Look at verse 17. But when he came to himself, when he, when he came to this realization, when he finally came around, when he finally recognized the way life really is, when he finally came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare? And I perish with hunger. It wasn't just the want. It was the recognition. My dad is a good dad. My dad, I mean, you should see it. My dad, even his servants have more than enough bread. This isn't fair how they're treating me here. And he begins to recognize how empty the world is in comparison to how beautiful and how good God is. He says, even my dad gives the servants bread and not just enough bread, but bread to spare. They have an overflowing amount of bread. I've got to go home. And that's what inspired him for mile after mile to go back to his dad. Just look at what it talks about in the book Christ's Object Lessons, talking about this same story, this parable. Page 202, it says this, The deceptive power that Satan had exercised over him was broken. The God of this world who blinds us, who deceives us, to who God really is. Miserable as he was, the prodigal found hope in the conviction of his father's love. He recognized, my father, he even loves servants. He began to realize that he was mistaken about who his dad was, that that all that he had asked him to do, all of the things in his life, maybe that was for my good all along. 
I just need to get back to my dad. He had this hope stirring in his heart. It goes on to say, it was that love which was drawing him toward home. So it is the assurance of God's love that constrains the sinner to return to God. It's the love of God. We only love because he first loved us. It's the love of God that inspires us, that gives us the strength to return towards God. Isaiah says it like this. Turn to Isaiah chapter 55. Isaiah chapter 55, he's talking about returning to God, which in the Greek, the Greek word metanoia for repentance is basically a turning back to God. It's a a turning away from the stuff that, that the sin in our life, the things that God has said is harmful to us and turning back to God and all of his goodness. Romans 2.4 says that it's the goodness of God that leads us to repentance, that leads us to turn back to God, that draws us back home, just like the prodigal son going home. So Isaiah 55, and we'll start in verse 6. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. He's, he's trying to, to compel them. You need to seek after God. You need to, to turn back to God, to, to go back home. Verse 7, let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Says, you need this turning away in your life. Turn away from the wicked things, the unrighteous things, the, the unloving, selfish things in your life that are only hurting you, that are only causing you harm. And let him return to the Lord, just like the prodigal son. Let him go back home. Let him return to his loving Father in heaven. Return to the Lord. And what does he do? And he will have mercy on him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. He will gladly receive him back. He'll lavish his love on him. He'll abundantly pardon. He's just waiting for us to turn back to him. Verse, seven, verse 8 continues, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, and my ways are not your ways, says the Lord. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. What is this talking about? This is talking about our thoughts about who God is, about understanding the way that the universe works, understanding what the character of love is. Our thoughts are so much lower than His. We think that we've got to do something to make ourselves better in order to get back to God. But God's saying, just turn back to me and I will receive you. I will abundantly pardon. I will show you mercy and I'll give you an entirely new life. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts. My ways than your ways. I will abundantly pardon. As the son journeys back, I just imagine, you know, he's going through these villages and he remembers going the opposite direction his pockets loaded with all kinds of gold and all of the, his father's wealth. He remembers the dreams of having parties, the dreams of, of what all is going to be out there. And as he's going back, he just has to be thinking, man, I've really messed up. I've ruined absolutely everything. And it tells us he's rehearsing here back in Luke chapter 11. It tells us that he's rehearsing what he's going to say to his dad. You imagine that he had a lot of time to practice this speech. He's thinking just the right words, exactly how he can go about this, talking to his dad. In verse, uh, verse 18, it says, I will arise, go to my father, and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, 
and am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. As he's going back, he's just thinking, well, I know that dad is good to his servants, and I'm not worthy to be a son anymore. I don't know that he'd have me back as a son anymore, but maybe, just maybe, he'd have me as a servant, and I wouldn't be starving to death anymore. Because I remember how good he was to servants. He has a picture of God's goodness, and you and I today hold a picture in our hearts of God's goodness. But throughout all of eternity, that's going to be expanding and getting better and better as we come to recognize how good God really is. The closer we come to God, the more we realize that He's far better than we ever imagined. I want to put a a, a tiny picture up here on the screen, and I want you to tell me what's on here. If you we're at the school during week of prayer. Don't tell your parents what it was, right? Can anybody see this picture and tell me what's here? Anybody with really good eyes, eagle eyes, what do you see there? A picture of a woman, Marilyn Monroe. You have really good eyesight. Can you guys see that? All right, we're going to let it go a little bit bigger. You imagine as he's going village after village, pretty soon he begins to recognize familiar territory. That morning when he wakes up and he's finally getting close to home, as he's getting closer and closer, he's thinking, okay, I'm recognizing this. I remember I'm getting close to home. And pretty soon he's looking off in the distance and he begins to see the home farm. And as he gets closer, a little bit closer, And a little bit closer, he has this picture. I'm going to go to my dad and I'm going to ask him, would you please let me be a servant? Would you please allow me to be a servant? But as he gets closer and closer and closer and closer and closer and closer, the picture completely changes in the story and he realizes that his dad is not as good good as he thought, he's even better. His dad is even better than he had hoped for. Even better than the hope that had drawn him home. His dad is so much better than that. And that is what Jesus wants us to realize as we look at this story, that that is who your Father in Heaven is. He's far better than you can ever imagine. That's the same exact picture, just magnified. That that God, we have this dim picture of who He is. And He wants us to see more and more of His goodness so that we can turn further and further away from the things that are hurting us and more and more back to God. So the story continues. Verse 20, And he arose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him. His father is there looking. He's probably at the edge of his, where he'd gone every single day to the edge of his property just wondering, is my son going to come home? When is he coming back? Love looks longingly for the object of its affection. God looks longingly for you. God wants to do everything possible. Luke 12, 32, we just read it. It's your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. He wants to do everything possible to get you into the kingdom. That's the entire goal of your Father in heaven. Just look at what this Father does that Jesus is using as the example of what God is like. While he's a great way off, uh, his Father runs to him. His Father saw him, had compassion, and ran and fell on his neck. 
That's the, the word in the Greek. is like he runs up to him and just wraps his arms around his neck and kisses him. Here he is. He smells like pig slop. He's in rags. He's barefoot. He's a miserable wretch who just spent half of his wealth or a third of his wealth. Here he is, somebody that has totally stabbed this father in the back. But the father is just glad that he's home. He's glad that he's come back. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight but, and am no longer worthy to be called your son. And before he can continue with his speech, before he can get to the part about just make me a servant, the dad interrupts him and begins yelling for the servants. He says, but the father said to the servants, bring out the best robe. He wants to cover up the rags so nobody can see anymore the filth of his life. He wants to do that for you and I when we come back to him. He wants to give you his robe of righteousness to cover up all of the mess of your life and to give you a brand new life. He wants to transform our lives to be a completely different life. He takes that that robe and he puts it on him. He put a ring on his hand. So sometimes I've just read that and thought, well, that's great. Okay, he's putting a ring on his hand. But this would have been the family signet ring that that sons were allowed to wear. He's letting him know as he put this on his finger that you aren't going to be a servant. I'm putting you back to son status. I mean, this ring was what gave a person authority when you went to make deals for the family and you put that seal in the wax so that you could say, my family wants to do this business. He's putting him back into the family business. He's putting him back as son. He's reinstating him completely. This son who's gone off and done all this stuff, he's bringing him back completely to the position of a son. And he cares about all the details. He goes on and puts sandals on his feet. Servants were generally barefoot, but sons, they got the shoes. (laughs) They were the ones who were taken care of. And he's fully reinstating him to his position as a son. Now here's the thing. Who changed in this situation? Did the father change? Did Did it take the father saying, okay, son, you're right. I didn't let you party enough. Bring the harlots home sleep around, have parties in my house, do whatever you want. That's our picture of love as a society, isn't it? Like love is permissive. Love lets anything happen. But this father loves that son too much and he knows that he's experienced the pain that comes from that life. And as he comes back, he knows that he recognizes that he wants a brand new life. And so he gladly says, son, you can come back and live in my house. You know how it works here. And you're welcome here. He welcomes him back into the the boundaries that that have all of those laws and restrictions that his son was running away from. And the the father's not going to change that because the father loves the son too much to change all of those things. Those things are there for the son's good. It's the same with Jesus coming and dying on the cross for you and I. He didn't die there so that he could take the law away, but he died so that he could set us free from enslavement, so that he could empower us and gift us through the Holy Spirit to live a life of liberty that is in line with his law. He wants to gift you with this. He wants to transform your lives. That's what he's saying on the cross. I'm dying for you because I want to give you an entirely new life. Here's the thing though. We don't always get 
who God is. We don't always recognize how good He truly is. And some of us sitting here today may think, well, that's great for Him. But what about those who are faithful? What about those who are following God's way all of this time? And you know the story as it goes on and they begin to make merry. They slaughter the, the fatted calf. There's this, this, this picture that, that he's throwing this huge celebration. They begin to sing. And when the, the older son comes in verse 25, now his older son was in the field and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. This word for music is similar to where we get the word for symphony. He's hired in the musicians to come and, and, and throw this big celebration. He's, he's slaughtered the, the, the fatted calf. He, he's throwing the biggest celebration possible to have the son there. So he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. But he was angry and would not go in. Therefore his father came out and pleaded with him. So he answered and said to his father, Notice what's going on in the older son's life. Lo, these many years I have been serving you. I never transgressed your commandment at any time, and yet you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. Do you see his picture here of his dad? He says, obviously they're commandments. He says, I've never transgressed any of your commandments all of this time. I've been a faithful older brother. I, I, I have been a faithful servant to you. I've been serving you. He's treating him like a master rather than like a father. He's serving him merely for the hope of reward. He doesn't like being there home with his dad. He doesn't want to be there. In fact, what does he say that he wishes that his dad had done for him? Did you notice it there? What does he ask? What does he say? You never did for me. You never give me a goat to do what? To go party with my friends. This whole time, he's been looking from a distance and seeing the prodigal son as he's out there, and he's saying, "Man, if only I could get away with that. If only I could be out there doing that too. If only I could go and party too. Then that would be the good life." But. I want the reward, and so I'm going to stay here and listen to what my dad is telling me to do. And a lot of times, I'll be honest, that may be why I do what I do in following God. Come to church, I go through the motions, I do things, because I'm thinking about the reward, I'm thinking about the end. I want you to just close your eyes for a minute, and I want you to picture heaven. Picture what heaven is like. Picture like your grandest dreams of what heaven would be like. It could be streets of gold that you imagine. It could be those mansions. It could be that, that monkey and tiger that you're looking forward to having as a pet. Shamu that you're looking forward to riding on. I don't know what your dream of heaven is, but picture all of the good possible that could be in heaven. And now I want you to imagine something that's impossible, but something takes place. You look around and you realize something. God is not there. And you know that you have all of eternity to enjoy your mansion, to enjoy streets of gold, to enjoy monkeys and tigers and no more pain. Nobody's going to die. But God's not there. Do you want heaven? You can open your eyes. Do you want heaven if God isn't there? 
do I want heaven if God isn't there? You see, all of the good news of all that God wants to do for us is boiled down to who God is and what He has for us and that relationship with God. And if I would be pleased with all of heaven without God, there's a little bit of the older brother still in me. And I just want for one to say, God, would you change my heart? Because I have a little bit of the older brother in me. I tend to look and say, I wish I could have this pleasure. I wish I could have that. When in reality, I need to recognize how good God is. When I turn away from God's law, when I say, yeah, okay, God said to do that, but I actually want to do this and that with my life. I want to have harlots in my life. I want to, whatever it might be. In reality, I'm violating God Himself. I'm saying that I, I don't want God because the commandments are just a revelation of His character. The Bible is just a revelation of who God is. And when I choose to purposefully go away from it, I'm saying, God, I want the fun without You. And that may be a tough realization this morning because sometimes we think, no, I'm good with God. I love Jesus. But He's calling us to a different life. He wants something better for us. The Son comes to set you free, Romans 8 says. Jesus says, whoever commits a sin is a slave to sin. I want to set you free. Turn with me to Romans chapter 8 where we see this beautiful picture. These will be the the last verses that we look at. Romans chapter 8. And while you're headed there, we're going to look at something from Christ's Object Lessons. Christ's Object Lessons, page 204, talking about the prodigal son. It says, in his restless youth, the prodigal looked upon his father as stern and severe. How different is conception of him now? So those who are deceived by Satan look upon God as hard and exacting. Have you ever felt that before? Man, it's hard to follow God. God has, it's just difficult. That's a deception from the enemy. They regard him as watching to denounce and condemn, as unwilling to receive the sinner so long as there is a legal excuse for not helping him. Have you felt that before? Well, God's just feeling like, hey, if there's any way to keep him out of heaven, I'm keeping him out of heaven. That's not your God. The Father would gladly give you the kingdom. But you have to want the kingdom. You have to have a transformation of heart. You have to not resist His transforming power in your life. His law they regard as a restriction upon man's happiness, a burdensome yoke from which they are glad to escape. But he who has eyes he whose eyes have been opened by the love of Christ will behold God as full of compassion. He does not appear as tyrannical, relentless being, but as a father longing to embrace his repenting son. That's who God is. And that's who Jesus wants us to recognize as he tells this story. He wants us to see that the Father is good. That the Father loves you. That He can't wait to embrace you. That He wants to bring you into the realm of happiness and peace that He longs to give to us. The good news is this. Romans chapter 8 tells us that, that it's not us that have to, to work this transformation in our hearts. It's not us that stir up this difference of, of how we come to see God, but God Himself works the transformation. Verse 14 says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. 
You know how Jesus is saying, you need to understand the love of God so you'll ask for it and the Father will give good gifts? Well, here it's saying, as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are children of God. Becoming a child of God has to do with receiving the Spirit of God. Verse 15, For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear. You're not enslaved by coming to God. You're set free. Where the Spirit of God is, there is liberty. He wants to give you a life of purity and a life of the only satisfying possible pleasure in following His will. But you receive the Spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father, Daddy. It's through the Spirit that our hearts are led home. It was the Spirit of God who transformed the prodigal's heart to recognize his need to come home. And it's as we're asking for the Spirit to give us a beautiful picture of God that our hearts are transformed and we too want to go home. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Signs of the Times, August 7, 1901, says this, The Lord Jesus encourages His believing ones to ask for the Holy Spirit. By presenting the parental tenderness of God, He seeks to encourage faith in the reception of the gift. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in Heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? If you're able, would you just join me on your knees this morning as we close? God, thank you for how good you are. And Lord, we come to you from different places this morning. Some of us may feel like the prodigal this morning. We've been chasing after all types of pleasures, all types of things, and it's empty. Some of us may be in the midst of the party and life still feels good and we haven't yet recognized how empty and painful it's going to be in the end. And God, I'm praying that if that's where we're at, that you'll open our eyes today. Some of us today feel empty and worthless and having nothing and you're just calling us home. And I pray today for that individual, those individuals here today, that they wouldn't hold back another moment so they wouldn't wait to make themselves better, but that they would turn back to you in this very moment. And Father, there's some of us who don't recognize that we've been like the older brother. We've been serving you. We're going through the motions. But sometimes we're bitter about it. Sometimes we don't recognize how good you really are and what your commandments entail and and how wonderful it is just to be with you. So Father, all of us need this gift of the Holy Spirit by which we can cry out, Abba, Father. Father, my prayer on this Father's Day weekend is that we would come to recognize you as our good Father and that we would turn fully to you today, that we'd open our hearts to you and that we would allow you to come in and to work that work of transformation that you're longing to do so that we can have liberty. Bless my friends as they go out this week. 
Father, may each of us continue asking for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in our lives. May we continue to, to pour through that book, Steps to Personal Revival. May we just continue to, to focus on your goodness and to, to focus on this promise of how much more will your Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask. Thank you, Father, in advance for filling us with your Holy Spirit that we too who are dead can be made alive. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.